Hey, I'm Alex Bonifer, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. Since you started coming around, I barely recognize her. She's all different. Worse. No, she's not. She never bottled me in the back of the head before being friends with you. Never almost murdered someone. Shut up, Neil. You know I can make your life a lot more difficult, right? You don't need to. I don't need to. You told Diane. Yeah. And I told my buddy Doug and two kids I met on the bus. Jeez, I told Kevin when I found out. What? He laughed. He didn't listen to me at all. No one listens to me. No one. You can make my life more difficult. I'm not a problem for you. I've never been a problem for you. So please, just stay the hell away from me. And Patty. Okay? Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for the AMC series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight, we're discussing the penultimate episode of Kevin Can Fuck Himself. The episode was called The Problem. It was written and directed by showrunner Craig DiGregorio. Just a community note, if you want to continue the conversation, please join us on Facebook and Kevin Can F Himself fans. Just a reminder that we assume you've watched this episode and we're not going to be doing a step-by-step recap of the episode. And if you don't want spoilers, obviously you should pause this podcast, go watch the episode, and then come on back. Caroline, how are we at the penultimate episode? Episode <laughs> 7 of 8 of the final season. I don't know. It feels like this went by way too fast. This was such a unique narrative to, to dive into. And I think it's really hit a lot of hearts of fans and there's been so much great discussion. I'm very sorry for this series to be over so quickly. They dropped the first two episodes on AMC Plus on that first week, but AMC viewers only got the episodes one week at a time. But somehow we're we're almost there. We're almost at the end. Yeah. We're we're seven weeks in. It doesn't seem I mean, we often find ourselves tracking the calendar year based on shows that we're covering. We do. <laughs> People have like Thanksgiving time and Christmas. Time. We have like Kevin can fuck himself time, Handmaid's Tale time. Right. It was right. like New Year's. Right. New Year's was celebrated with like 1883 in the Gilded Age. Right. Right. right? And then yeah. yeah. So and then we went into the Westworld, and now we're here. And so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wild that <laughs> this show is ending as we're getting ready for Halloween. Which to that point, you guys, as this show is ending, Pod Clubhouse is not ending at all. We've got a lot more shows for you guys. So please make sure you're subscribed over at Pod Club house.com or any of the awesome places like spotify come on mike help me pandora where else oh apple podcasts spotify podcasts google podcasts amazon music uh podcasts all the podcast places y'all we know you're gonna miss the show we know you're gonna miss this but i mean hey you can still listen to us talk about other shows sure we got your honor coming up we've got a new Ooh, season of yellowstone so you and paul are in the middle of handmaid's tale season five so we are 
lots of stuff popping off. Uh, Paul and his friend are covering Andor, right? And they're part yes. their ongoing Star Wars podcast. And so, uh, we can't forget Yellowstone is coming back in November. That was the first one I said. I said the new season. Oh man, that one! I, I listed worth, so many. Listen, it's worth a double mention because that one in particular is is just you know hot biz. Well, and we cover the entire uh, Yellowstone universe, so you have uh, main feed Yellowstone, but then 1923, the second prequel series will be rolling along. Four sixes will be rolling along. Yeah. But Caroline, this is not the Yellowstone podcast. We've got to get focused. <laughs> it's the penultimate episode. Mike loves a penultimate episode. That is one of his favorite words to ever say, ever. So expect it to be used quite a bit. And for those of you who are like, what's a penultimate episode? Penultimate means second to last. So it's always for, you know why I like penultimate <laughs> episodes? Not only no. is it a fun word to say, I think oftentimes the penultimate episode is a more satisfying episode of television than the finale. It's kind of like the Saturday of the weekend, whereas the finale is like Sunday and there's a kind of like a let down, you know, oh, it's over kind of feeling. But Saturday, things are still exciting. The penultimate episode, there's still lots of weekend left. It's extremely hard to nail a finale and a series finale, most of all. They're very hard to do because fans always want something more. Either a question isn't answered or something is resolved in a way that the populace doesn't like. But the penultimate episode though usually does everything it does everything because it sets you up for that finale so it has to be on board with everyone's expectations so yeah. penultimate episodes tend to really hit the ground running in a, in a great way i i think this was a great penultimate episode i mean i think i think last week uh episode six really set the table for the final two episodes and this one really put everyone in position especially with that twist ending in the especially ending on such a serious note in the multicam uh section the report of allison uh you know gone missing in a hiking accident but you're getting ahead of yourself let's get to our title card it was a Kino scratcher. And for those that are inclined to look at numbers, the numbers 258 were chosen. I don't get lost in the numbers when I get out I of jail. Do. I totally do. <laughs> I wanted so badly to have this revelation that somehow 258 were gonna, was going to be like the area code and or the prefix to phone numbers in Maine. I had this like thought in my head. Somehow this was going to be it. I went looking. No, y'all. No. 258 is is not it's like mozambique is like nothing <laughs> that has anything to do with this so i would i really did go looking if you guys have an idea of what 258 might be referring to maybe episode numbers maybe mm. just lucky numbers for valerie armstrong i don't know what it's gonna be but please let us know what you think it might be two plus five is seven which this episode is and eight and is the final one and eight <gasps> yes it's like a two-part ending perhaps do you know why six was afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. You're damn right he did. You're damn right he did. <laughs> I have a dad, too. Ah, I am a dad, so. <laughs> Do they just give you a book at the beginning when they give you a kid? Do they like, here's all the jokes. Uh, as, soon, as soon as they whack that kid on the back, they hand you your book. Oh so it's God. all good. Uh, seven, eight, nine is one of the first jokes. <laughs> it's, it's, you know what? still makes me laugh. Uh, makes me giggle, makes me snort. If, it, if, if, if delivered in the right way, it'll make me snort. So Hilarious. 
I want to talk uh, some episode themes. Okay. All right. We're going to have to go in the way back machine. We're going way, way back to episode four of this season. Uh, you'll recall there was a birthday party for Patty, a horrible birthday party. And there was a scene in there that we called y'all's attention to that may come back to be important later. It was a scene between Allison and Tammy in the kitchen when they were lighting the birthday cake candles. Let's take a listen. Not sure this required two people. <laughs> Well, I wanted to include you. No, I know. That's my way of saying thank you. Can't wait to tell Patty that we got out of this actually liking each other. I don't like you. Oh, that is... that's very rude. No, it's not. It's true. And you don't like me. It's fine. People don't have to like each other. No, I... I like you. No, you don't. You don't like that I'm around all the time, and I don't like that you are. It's fine, really. But here's the thing, I should be around all the time. Me and Patty are together and that's the point. And I don't know exactly what it is you want from her, but maybe you should just back off a little. Now, we talked about at the time that that was part of a theme of the season, going all the way back to episode one of the season. People were hearing truths that they should maybe actually take and listen to and incorporate into their life. Unfortunately, the truth was being delivered by the person they least wanted to hear it from. We had Neil saying things to Allison. We had Allison saying things to Neil. We had Neil and Patty exchanging words. Real hard truths coming from from unfortunate sources. And this was sounded like it was something to maybe put on the wall for later. Allison being told by the person she'd least want to hear it from, Tam, me that perhaps Patty would be better off without her around. That really hasn't come back into play until tonight's episode. There were there were two very significant areas where Allison heard once again she needed to back off. And I'm I'm curious, Caroline, do you think that that is that the scene with Tammy at the birthday party, together with the scene with Tammy that we're going to play in a second outside the motel, together with the scene with Neil outside the ice skating rink, did all of that maybe come together and actually drive her to leave at the end of the episode? Yes, I think that there was absolutely a layering of all of these things. Because, I mean, of course, we start with the catalyst of Kevin. But in reality, there was a lot of things going wrong all around her. Tammy and Sam and Patty and everything, Nick and Neil and just bunches of things that were just piling on to where, I mean, she had to get going. Uh, you know, I name a little behind the scenes for you guys listening. I name all of these clips that we listen to. So like when I pull them up on our on our player here, I can play them right into the episode. So back in episode four, I had labeled that clip I just played back off. And uh, the clip between Tammy and Allison today uh, from episode seven's episode, I also, unbeknownst to me, also labeled back off. So uh, it was definitely a theme that was in my head when it comes to Tammy talking to Allison. Let's listen to them outside the motel. Neither of us listened when Patty said she didn't want any help. Hmm. Well, Patty doesn't always know what's best for her. Come on, you're not going to say that that's not fair to her or I really don't know her? Nope. Allison, I told you to back off. You instigate and you got her into this shit. And you're only thinking about yourself. Now, you might not be on that video, but I feel like you're right there next to her. But you're not going to say anything? 
I just don't think I can say anything right to you at this point. Not that I don't have anything to say to you, but I just don't know that I have anything right to say to you. I was really struck by that line as well. I, w- I was thinking to myself, you know, that might be one of those things that I need to put in my back pocket and just when I actually feel that way in my heart, instead of just trying to scramble and say something, how much better is it just to say, like, I don't I don't think I can say anything right right now. Like, this is this is this is where we are. I think that line was made even more powerful because later on in the episode when Tammy actually finally confronts Patty and who the two of them really didn't actually have a lot of interaction in this episode, which is interesting given how much their relationship was in the crosshairs in this episode. But that's Tammy really playing it behind the scenes with Allison than than with Patty directly when she confronts her with the Vermont footage. Patty plays pretty dumb and she doesn't admit to anything. And ultimately, Tammy gives her an ultimatum. Patty's response is, I don't know what to tell you, which very much echoes the same idea of there's nothing I can say to you that's the right thing to say to you. I respect it, though. I really respect it because it's this level of honesty that is badly needed. And it's also this sort of giving in of like, I don't even have the energy or the the desire to create some story or try to, you know, scramble for you in any way. At this point, there's nothing left to be said. You can only run and dodge and obfuscate and come up with lies, bad lies, good lies, whatever the type of lie it is for so long. Eventually, You just have to not say anything. And Allison, we've seen, is a horrible liar, as is Patty. So so honestly, it is the best move for them at this point to just not say anything to Tammy. It really, though, it screams this level of, like, self-awareness and confidence, though, because it actually takes a lot more to be quiet than it does to make up a story. A hundred percent. I mean, you have to have, like, nerves of steel to be, like... There's nothing left for me to say. You know, like there's something into that. But they've also tried making up stories too. And I mean, it we're, doesn't work. <laughs> right. We're, we're seven hours into this new season. They've tried making up stories. They've tried coming up with cover stories. They have the restraint, and I give them credit for not coming up with another one. But it's not like they haven't tried though either. They've tried to throw her off the off the scent. It's an excellent indicator though where the heads of our two you know main women characters are with Patty and and Allison and. That that they're just truly at the end of their you know storyline right now that they just there's nothing else that they can say to make up and try to try to dodge right now i, I want to go to the beginning of that clip where uh allison says neither of us listened to patty which fine neither of them did right she was both she was clear to both of them don't go looking for neil right tammy's response is the more telling one and and i think consistent with tammy she says that patty doesn't know what's best for her man that fucking bugs me that line of thinking we've seen it from tammy a bunch bugs me but caroline we've also seen it from allison she didn't tell she didn't tell patty about neil and diane for a month we learned in this episode she never told her about the vermont footage so she's also gatekeeping information from patty i mean for allison there's only so much information that she should really be putting onto Patty when she knows in her game plan, Patty's the one that's going to be left behind. So, you know, how much do you really want to put on the shoulders of the person who's going to have to stay in the storm? That feels more fair than Tammy because Tammy, it just comes off to like parenting again. You know, it's just, it's really... Uber controlling, yeah. Yes, and just using information to have power over someone else. 
is feels more dangerous. Allison's not doing it to have power over Patty. She's doing it to try to give her plausible deniability for stuff. I certainly think that's the case with the Diane and Neil thing. I'm not sold that she didn't tell her about the Vermont footage for plausible deniability because I feel like her not telling her about the Vermont footage was more to keep Patty having a nervous breakdown off of Allison's plate. I think that okay. was I think that was as much about Allison trying to keep the lines as clear and unobstructed as possible for her own self as as well as Patty. I think if for Patty's sake to an extent, but I think also there was a a a, a, a personal interest in not revealing that Vermont footage. Because look at how Patty reacted at the end of the episode when she comes in. She's like, she knows about the Vermont. She's in, she's putting it together. She's having a meltdown. It's the most frantic we've seen Patty until until Allison hugs her and quiets her and she says, I'll fix it. You know, so Allison knew that that was going to be Patty's reaction. So I think there was a personal interest in not telling her there. I think right. not telling her about Neil and Diane was more for for Patty's peace of mind. Like that was uh, Patty has enough going on is kind of how I took it for not telling her. But as someone who doesn't like not being told things, no matter what like it is. I don't like being in that spot either. I, the last thing I want to do is be like taken off guard by a third party. And while, while someone standing next to me knew very well, I didn't know. If I was Patty, I would get pretty pissed off if i came to the realization that she had kept both of those things from me fair so so in this conversation i'm willing to say that that my needle changes a little bit and say maybe there's no good reason to really keep information from someone else that's an adult that can you know handle the information however they want maybe maybe there is no good reason you know maybe there is some degree of you have to let that person handle their own life in their own way i can't preach independence when it comes to tammy and then accept like a good friend or even a best friend keeping information from you, maybe that's not fair. Because I know we have a lot of people over in the Facebook group starting to kind of question about like, is Allison really the good guy? And remember, I'm going to say there are no good guys. There's no good. There's no bad. Everybody's got a little bit of something in them. There are worse guys <laughs> and there are better guys, but nobody's purely good or bad. So I think that there's obviously some steps that Allison's taking here that, you know, we can all definitely have a little squinty eye at. Here's why this show is so good, because just like you just said, there's no all bad or all good person on the show. And guys, even Kevin is not all bad i think his good is harder to find maybe he stumbles upon it accidentally but he's not a one-dimensional character i would say anyway even within his badness there are levels to his cunning and i think that's a credit to the show is that you can't actually say allison is all good or all bad because it's all about perspective from allison's point of view and one that i think is very defensible for her is i'm doing everything i can to get out of this fucking situation I am I am trapped. I will never be happy. I will I will have an early grave if I continue on in my current situation. So everything I do is justifiable. But as we've talked many times in this season, and, and I feel like I'm I'm doing my best to dance on both sides of the argument, Diane has a legitimate beef with how Allison had treated her so far in not being there for the Chuck situation. Patty certainly, I think you can argue, has put herself out more for Allison than Allison has 
is for her from Patty's point of view. So uh, certainly Neil feels like he's definitely in the right from his point of view when it comes to Allison. It, it's all about what point of view you're on and what and what side you want to be arguing from. And I think that's a credit to the show because I think a lot of shows, dramas or comedies, are extremely one note where they hit you over the head with this is the good guy or this is the good person, this is the bad person, and how dare you even question it. I think this show I think this show begs you to question who's good and who's bad. And again, to have that perspective that, you know, what's good for one person isn't good for someone else and and trying to figure out how to strike some sort of balance, because we've had a lot of people argue in our Facebook group about things like Allison has every right to do anything to anyone because she's in a bad situation. And we've come back and been like, is that really true? Like, if you're in a bad situation, are you then allowed to use other people, take advantage of other people, do things that hurt their feelings or make them feel bad or small? Is that actually true? Or do you have some responsibility to not have shit roll downhill and hurt your friends and other family members and people who are hurting themselves? Do you have to have some degree of responsibility, even if you're a hurt person? And that in a gets very tricky because, you know, no one wants to say that Allison should be tippy-toeing around friends and family when she's hurting and when she needs help. You know, at the same time, Patty's a hurt person. Diane's a hurt person. Like, nobody deserves to be the one to feel like they're getting taken advantage of. There's a great example of of that discussion. And actually, in this episode, let's take a listen and talk about it. This is Sam and Allison. Allison. Kevin decided Tammy's a problem. She won't be a cop in three days. Okay, well, maybe she shouldn't be a cop. She planted evidence for a partner. Maybe she's asking for what's coming to her. But she's Patty's girlfriend. Well, maybe Patty deserves better. Allison. Sam! This is how I stay. I'm okay. I just want to make sure you're still you on the other side of it. I know what I'm doing. This is how I stay is a powerful, powerful argument. And I think the people in the Facebook group, Facebook group and 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 all the discourse about this show that's online where we're talking about it, Reddit or Facebook or just on Twitter, everywhere. The response to Alice should be able to do whatever she wants to get out of this you hear her rationalizing it here. And maybe she's not wrong to say maybe Tammy shouldn't be a cop. Maybe Tammy shouldn't be a cop. Maybe Tammy, maybe Patty does deserve better than what Tammy represents. But she's also rationalizing decisions she's making here. And the reason she's rationalizing is because this is how I get to stay. Now, okay, fine. But Sam, I think, has maybe the most important thing Sam's ever said in the show when he says, I just want to make sure you're still you, though, when you get on the other side. We can't we can't act in such a way that when all of the dust settles, we're not recognizable to who we were before. Because then what did you do it for? Who did you protect if you are fundamentally changed? But do you think that that's reasonable? I mean, I don't know if somebody can go through everything that Allison has gone through in this story in the last two seasons and have a realistic expectation that she would remain remotely the same as the person she was before this all started. That's where I get back to like Sam just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the impact of everything that she's been through. And I had I had a moment I posted a couple of things on Facebook of like some of the like pilot episodes like I forgot about her washing her mouth out 
after giving Kevin mm. a blowjob. Yeah. Like I forgot that scene in the bathroom and the and the mascara and the eyeliner all under her eyes and looking so just beat up and and just upset. And someone else pointed out that in one of those first episodes that there appeared to be a bruise on her arm when she was in the doctor's office and she had a short sleeve shirt on or like it's the gown, you know, no one can remember her wearing short sleeves much past that. And we've seen her with a with a dislocated arm. We've seen her with a big bruise on her face from him kicking the door. Like, let's remember that this is not you know, minuscule little things that have been going on with this woman. She's been physically, emotionally, financially, every which way abused by this situation. Should she be the same person at the end? I mean, that kind of comes from a Sam of like Kevin's a clown thinking. I, I hear you. Obviously, she she needs to change to get out of the situation she's in. But I think the larger sentiment is, even with all of that, Allison, at your core, you are still a kind, loving person. That is who your natural tendency is and was. And remember, Sam knows her from before the Kevin days. So he's got the uncorrupted version of Allison, which we've used to criticize Sam and how he treats Allison, that he doesn't appreciate how she has grown and changed and the life experiences she's had. There is also something to be said about the fact that he knows the uncorrupted by Kevin and that world version of Allison. So I think to him, what he's saying is you start planting evidence and making false statements about Tammy, at what point are you no longer the naturally good person that you actually are? How far can you go to escape your situation before it costs you who you are before all of this or, or aside of all of this? I think that's what he's getting to say. And and you see this narrative a lot of times, right? Uh, when, when someone takes on the mafia in a movie, they start killing because their people are being killed. Well, how many people do you kill before you're no better? Better than the enemy that you're trying to take down. I think that's what Sam is getting at here. And I really do understand that. I, and I'm going to say that that people who have been in an abusive relationship will say there is no distance that I would be willing to get away from my original self in order to be safe and be finally rid of the person who is causing me all of this pain. It's it's a luxury. It's a privilege to get to keep your old self. But most people don't get to. Sam's words are in her head, though, because I think maybe the most important scene of this show actually happens between Allison and Kevin in this episode. Not necessarily Kevin, because it happens afterwards. I'm talking about the scene where he says he comes home from the police station. Kevin does. He says, all you have to do is sign this statement that says you saw Tammy planting evidence the night she came to the house after the shooting and he's all kicking his heels and stuff his problems are solved and he leaves and he goes into the kitchen but the camera stays in the multicam why Kevin's not in the scene anymore why is it still in the multicam it's not until she drops slashes throws the statement onto the coffee table and releases it from her hand that it switches back to the single cam that moment Caroline I think is her choosing there is in fact a line in the sand that she won't cross to get rid of her problems I think that is Sam's words in her head acting on her because I think that moment the reason it stays in the multicam is her choice to become a Kevin, like her mom, like Kevin himself, 
or not. I agree with you very much. I I think that that was very clever with the camera work and the direction and everything that they were doing to try to give us that indicator of like, you know, there there is absolutely a line and there is like a, a, a point of which you can't come back from. I appreciate that she, it's like her fingers are on the edge of like the cliff and she's hanging on for sure without, you know, without a doubt, she's trying to say, you know, I can only go so far. She's like meatloaf, right? I do anything, but I won't do that. <laughs> so she's totally there and I appreciate it. Again, though, she's done the hard work and she's had support from Patty in order to be able to be in this situation where she does have this, you know, body and the death certificate and all the things that have taken it to get to this point. There are plenty of people who wouldn't have had all these ducks in a row to be able to not go to the dark side. Hooray for her for having done the work and also some amount of understanding for those people who would have signed and just said, I, I got to get out of here and I got to like really just walk away from everything and really keep as many people who could do harm to me or try to do anything to me or Patty or anyone, keep them as far away from those people as possible. I've got to do some damage on my way out. I'm going to have some amount of understanding for those people. A hundred percent. And I do too. And and it's not meant to be a judgment on them, but I think for Allison, just talking about Allison specifically, I think that moment represents, literally represents the choice of which path is she going to go down? An unexpected fork in the road that I don't even think she realized she had reached. And she makes a choice and it's there that she then goes next door. And and you have, I mean, you have this moment, which is uh, I mean, just a great moment between uh, Annie Murphy and Mary Hollis. Allison, she knows. Tammy knows that I was in Vermont. She's about to know everything else. She was asking a lot of questions. She knows that we have a connection to Nick, and it's all my fault. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Powerful. The music, the frantic, Patty's frantic energy, the music, the concussive beating, escalating and escalating. And then she hugs her and it stops. And then there's those long seconds of them just breathing and hugging. And she just says, I'll fix it. And she's made her choice. She had, she had already made the choice to fix it in the living room when she throws down the statement. It's, it's three minutes of just fucking masterful television making. People listening, go watch it again. From when Kevin leaves the scene, she stares at it. She makes her choice as she goes across uh, next door to that moment when she says, I'll fix it. It's heart stopping. It's great television. It's absolute great television. That silence also that we have there, and I'm glad you left it in and because it would have been easy to, to edit it out or anything. But that pause, that quiet pause where you can imagine in your head, Allison just staring at Patty, the quiet feels like you can put it under the same category as Patty saying, there's nothing else I have to say about this or or Allison being like, I don't think I can say anything right. Like there's a, there's a shift. No longer are we over explaining. No longer are we making excuses. There's just a lot more quiet that's happening. And I think that that's remarkable on TV because they tend to want to fill it with dialogue so much space to to literally breathe. I mean, you and I, aside from this show, have been talking about calm and peace and blood pressure and breathing and just finding... Oh, you can't bring up blood pressure. <laughs> Y'all, I have real bad blood pressure, okay? And this past week was real, real bad. And this is why our <laughs> podcast is coming out later than we would like. But, um, but the importance of quiet and taking a moment cannot be underscored. The importance of a hug. 
to quiet the drums, to quiet the frantic energy. Guys, sometimes it's just a hug. It's so well done. And it, you're you're 100% right. This is so, this is this show, this AMC show punching so much higher above its weight. What Valerie and, and Craig and Anna DeCosa and all of the writers on the show have done here, what, what Annie Murphy and Mary Hollis have done is just really, really spectacular. I'm so glad that you highlighted Annie Murphy and Mary Hollis because I'm I'm super sad that in the two seasons we haven't gotten an opportunity to talk with them. And I know in interviews that we've seen with them, there is definitely, you know, a lot of impact that this show has had on them. I would love to learn more about how that's going to work. But for some reason, I get this vibe that like they are going to keep more quiet about this than I would like them to be. Um, you know, I would really love to know everything about it. I know that Mary Hollis has said she has no interest in auditioning for multicam shows anymore. And I and I know that Annie Murphy in her interviews has seems to have this kind of cloud of of really this hit her. You know, this hit her hard. I think that these two women, for as much praise as we've absolutely and, and time that we've given to a lot of the men with with Alex Bonifer being on and Eric Peterson and Brian Howe and we respect all of their work. We really haven't given enough time to these two actresses who have done just such a fantastic job of bringing these two characters to life in a way that felt real. I, I mean, there's there's so many ways this could have been done where these two characters came off very shallow or annoying or, or whatever to people. And really, they kept the heart of the show beating throughout this entire complicated and unique storytelling. I just give them so much credit I, I hope they do more together honestly yeah they've got a chemistry that you seldom see on television when when you hear valerie armstrong say in interviews that it's a show about female friendship more so than than a woman in a toxic marriage you get it when you see scenes like this when, when you see the power of that moment between the two of them you're like, yeah, I get it. I, I see it. I understand what you're saying when you say that. It's a great moment. It's, it's a great moment. It really blew me away. It, I noted it when I watched it the first time, when I when I went back to watch it, it for more detail and taking notes. I was really kind of dumbstruck, and I watched it a couple of times, and it had the same effect on me. It really, really kind of stopped me in my tracks and, and just kind of say, wow. I, wa I want to go back to the original episode thing where you're we talking about this idea of is Patty better off if Allison stays away? Now, we started off talking about the Tammy aspect of it and how that may be uh, affected the choices Allison makes in this episode and getting into her head. But I think we would be remiss if we did not talk about the interaction between Allison and Neil in this in this episode. These two go a bit of a ways where Allison at least really does some olive branching here to try and get Neil to heal because he's just going around town telling literally everyone, uh, you know, Diane, Dougie, Kevin, two friends, two kids he met on the bus, the bartender at the seas. He's telling everyone about the story. And it led to this really great moment here, which I think if I'm Alex Bonifer, I'm probably submitting for my Emmy reel, uh, maybe for supporting actor next year. It's, it's a pretty great moment. Let's take a listen. Yeah. All the stuff you put her through. Me? Since you started coming around, I barely recognize her. She's all different, worse. No, she's not. She never bottled me in the back of the head before being friends with you. Never almost murdered someone. Shut up, Neil. You know I can make your life a lot more difficult, right? You don't need to. I don't need to. 
You told Diane. Yeah. And I told my buddy Doug and two kids I met on the bus. Jesus, I told Kevin when I found out. What? He laughed. He didn't listen to me at all. No one listens to me. No one. You can make my life more difficult. I'm not a problem for you. I've never been a problem for you. So please, just stay the hell away from me. And Patty. Okay? Imagine being Allison, who has lived this life with Kevin and only let's say in the last year of the show's timeline or less than a year has realized how dire and how bad off she really is and, and how abused she really is by her husband. And now you have these people who are not your abusive husband coming out of the woodwork left and right and telling you you're a bad person and you make the people around you sad and worse off and to stay away and to back off. How can Allison not be affected by these interactions with Tammy and Neil? I keep trying to decide how I feel about the fact that Neil says, I'm not a problem for you. Like, I was really dissecting that in my brain. Like, was Neil in isolation a problem for Allison? Or is it his partnership, the dynamic between him and Kevin, the problem for Allison? Like, I was really trying to work on that. And I had to come to the place of like, that's just revisionist history <laughs> because he is a problem for Allison and he does bolster Kevin. Right. And so I don't know if it's right to say I'm not a problem for you. I mean, do you buy into that? No, no. But again, this is all this is the conversation we were having before about from these characters point of view. They are 100 percent sure of their convictions he says at the beginning of the day when it's still daylight out when he tells her about being banned from the ice skating rink neil has with a straight face says it wasn't my fault that they got banned motherfucker you threw a glass bottle onto the ice you smashed it in a drunken rage and went on god knows what kind of like chaotic rampage through the ice skating rink it wasn't your fault sir no, it was right. your fault. You have to, there's, he's still not taking responsibility for his actions. He's never apologized for attacking her, mauling her in the most aggressive, going to kill you kinds of ways. That can't be swept under the rug. And the show, again, to its credit, has done such a good job of making you kind of feel for Neil in these moments. And several times, especially watching him with Diane, you're like, ah, oh, Neil, man, what, what a sad puppy. Yeah. For sure, sad puppy, but he's a giant sad puppy who is violent, who has been in prison enough times that people know he gets lost in the fucking numbers of Kino. How many times has Neil been in jail that Patty knows the courthouse, the city hall courthouse uh, so well? Like, this is not a good guy, guys. Like, he's not a good guy, objectively, not a good guy. But here we are, and you listen to him in that moment, and you're like, fuck, Allison, you really, Neil wasn't a problem for you no no he absolutely was a problem for you he tried choking you to death yes i mean good lord let's not forget that i mean how can i how could i have just said that he like bolstered kevin but then at the same time not mentioned the choke out scene in the kitchen but, but I mean, that's what the show has done that's the power of the show i mean it's very tricky the way that that he is retelling and again maybe that tells us something i mean remember when we had the episode title unreliable narrator 
and we wondered about who exactly was an unreliable narrator. At the end of the day, we kind of came up with, you know, sort of everybody is and even the audience we are and everybody kind of has their own point of view. I think that's an important part to remember from his point of view. He takes the fall for Kevin a lot. He ends up, you know, uh, the one left alone, you know, and his own little dirty apartment or whatever, trying to just like make do while Kevin has a wife and a life and a whole thing going on in a job. And he kind of sidelines himself. But that's through his own point of view. Right. I mean, again, he did you know, come barreling out of a laundry room and choke her out. Like he doesn't see himself for what he is at all. The scariest of all predators, right? When they don't even see themselves as anything. Right. When when they genuinely believe that they haven't done anything wrong. When when you can say you're it's not your fault that you've been banned for the ice rink, when we saw what he did, talk about the most unreliable of narrators for sure. Okay, can we talk for a second about that scene? Because I I'm a little puzzled by two things, two moments here that I need to ask you about. It has to do with either directing or something that was happening here that maybe I didn't catch. Okay, when they go in the ice rink, it's most definitely daytime. Mm-hmm. But then it's night nighttime yeah and that seems so odd there's another time when allison was in the car with patty she seems like woozy and there's like a weird camera effect like am i missing anything about what's happening here i think that well the wooziness factor because it's not like when she was with patty where she almost kind of faints that almost felt like either pressure or just being extremely tired which we know she's going through a bout of insomnia in this episode in the car it's not just her kind of going faint the camera actually does like almost like a psychedelic effect effect right like a scooby-doo like 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 it kind of like it vibrates and it made me wonder later on if she actually in fact lost time because it's neil coming in ranting about you know he can't believe they still ban like it didn't work that's what brings her out of that that camera moment whatever it is i wonder if she did black out or or somehow lose time what's the implications of that you know like or are there any because that that just feels like we haven't had that before and like what is happening it was something we've never seen before what happens in the car there it's it's something it's a, an effect that we hadn't seen before in the show and then she when she tells him in the rink uh, she says come on and he comes in and then he's staying there and she comes over and she's like i fixed it i fixed it with mike the zamboni driver and all that and they come out and he leaves he go out and it's nighttime she does say like she's wasted her whole afternoon so it sounds like it took her quite a while to convince the Sambroni driver to unban Neil I don't know I feel like maybe she did lose time it, it is a weird thing can I put up on the board and I I do not believe this but I'm gonna put up on the board because when a show does something subtle but very different like that you got you got to put it at least up on the board right to pay oh attention. yeah it's a question mark so for sure yeah. I'm gonna say that this whatever happens moving forward from here to the end of the series this woozy moment slash perhaps lost time we know she's having this insomnia sitch cracks the door to is the end of this any type of dream sequence i'm just putting it on the board because there's something about having a lost time moment that you have to be willing to leave a saint elsewhere slash what happened to this character at the end is is the, was this all reality that anything that happens past this point 
I would be lying if I didn't tell you the idea that Kevin can fuck himself takes place in the Tommy Westfall universe. And the little snow globe. Yes, it's very exciting <laughs> to me. Um, how about this? How about given the sitcom multi-cam aspect, uh, the single-cam multi-cam aspect of the show, maybe the camera moment represents not a dream, maybe it represents her having some kind of actual mental breakdown or like some, kind of, some kind from- of schism or split in her in her personality or or just or just her psyche falling apart see i'm willing to leave this on the board and only because i don't think either of those are true but i want to leave room for because of fans this is way more fun when we're reviewing to not say like this is exactly what happened at the end it's a lot more fun for us to discuss this and say you know what someone's gonna see this and they're gonna take that little tiny piece that doesn't seem the same as everything else and say if you didn't pick up on that little cue then you didn't understand the end of this whole thing because there's going to be people who do that uh yes for sure and and it's our job as people who review this show to help i think point out things and highlight things and 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 put things on our conspiracy board and put question marks on things point you along in the directions and ask the right questions i think that's our job anyway i think that's how we approach this um so it's definitely a moment that you have to put on the board and say what was that I want to go to our original episode theme question now. Now that we've listened to all of the... Oh, actually, before we do that, let me... let me Just going back to Neil and being an unreliable narrator, let's listen to this clip. This is actually when they're driving to the ice rink. I know this whole thing has taken a toll on you. And it's taken a toll on me, too. You know, no one wanted this to happen. Stay left at the fork. I know I haven't said this, but I I am sorry for a lot of things. And I feel like on some level, maybe you are too. Maybe we've both made mistakes and maybe we can just get past them. I can if you can. You look like shit. Election. Yeah, join the club. There's an episode in Friday Night Lights for those of you that watched it where Billy and Tim Riggins are starting Riggins Rigs. And uh, uh, Billy is riding Tim hard about taking too long on fixing a car. And he starts going off on all these different problems that he has. And Tim Riggins starts yelling at him about how Billy is hogging the violin, that that tiny violin, he's hogging it too much. He needs to share the violin. He's, he's, he's hogging that tiniest little violin in the world. And that's all I thought about because I'm, I'm currently rewatching Friday Night Lights. But here, that's all I thought about talking, like listening to Neil, like join the club. Again, this is from his point of view. He is the aggrieved party here. The situation he finds himself in is entirely of his making. If he doesn't attack Allison, Patty doesn't hit him with a bottle. You know, if if he doesn't start sleeping (laughs) with Diane, she doesn't 
walk away from him when he chooses Kevin over her and call having sex with her weird and stupid. Oh, Lord. You you never even went back to that weird and stupid thing. I never did. I had a whole section of my notes and we just went right past it last week. Because <laughs> it's really horrifying thing to say to somebody. Oh, man. We were, we were supposed to hang out last night. I, I, I totally spaced. Bullshit. <sighs> Kevin called... There was this whole hot tub thing, and, and he got mad at me, and, and I just, I got distracted. <laughs> I, he pointed out I've been MIA a lot lately, and, and I think he's right. You know, I've been spending way too much time on, on other stuff. But you hate Kevin. What? Uh, Kevin's my best friend. He, he looks out for me, and I've been really shitty to him lately. Okay, is that true, or is that just what he tells you? No, 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 this is my fault. And it's because of us that I've been acting shitty. This whole thing is weird and stupid. Having sex with me is weird and stupid? Well, yeah, kind of. Hey, guys, pro tip out there. Ladies don't like it when you tell them having sex with them is weird and stupid. Ladies, if someone says that having sex with you is weird and stupid, just turn on your heel and walk away. That dude's not worth your time. I guess if any person no. says having sex with you is weird and stupid, you don't need that in your life. <laughs> having sex with you is wonderful. Yeah, that should be the only word you say to that person. That person should be lucky to be having sex with you. It is not weird and stupid. <laughs> right? You are fantastic. You at sex. are wonderful. You are Nobody wonderful at the sex. Anything like that. Not yes. weird, not stupid, Definitely. hot. Hot yes. sex business. Yes. God, y'all. Keep your standards high. Weird and stupid is definitely no good. <laughs> so, Neil, uh, larger point. Neil and his join the club look like shit, feel like shit. Dude, it's all of your own making. Now, and, you, and Allison can't say some of Allison's life problems are of her own making, but the larger problems, the real highlighted, shitty, bold, underlying problems of Allison's life are not of her own making. Neil, you are not the same. I'm not, well, I can't be a big jerk about this, but I mean, Neil had this, I mean, they really do highlight Neil and Patty's upbringing and how shitty that whole situation was and everything with that whole mess True. was real bad, right? And then it is like, yes, he chose Kevin to be a friend, but man, the amount of times that Kevin seems to allow Neil to just take the fall and be the one that gets arrested, I don't know. This is where I go back to the show is well-written in that it's not clear. Kevin, you know, absolutely affected Neil's life. Neil has had shit that's happened in his life, but, <laughs> you know, again, we crossed all the lines when we had the kitchen scene. I mean, all the lines, that's when you lose the... Who did what to the who now game? Neil, you lose. Is Patty better off if Allison goes away? I don't know that there's a definite answer. I know Tammy thinks Patty would be better off. I know Neil thinks Patty would be better off. Listen to this. Listen to Patty in her own mouth because uh, she kind of weighs in on this without realizing she's weighing, weighing in on this question. Wait a minute. What does any of this matter? Well, Tammy's a cop and we're... Criminals, if you want to look at it in black and white. No, what does this matter if you're gone? Neil can say whatever he wants. That's the point, right? And I can blame you for everything. You just have to go. Soon. I, I didn't want to say anything until I thought it was possible. But I... Uh, I want to stay. You do? Why? And I, I think I can, but I know you're only helping me so you can get me out of here. And I pulled you into this, so if you if you still want me to go... No. 
I don't. What do we have to do? Patty doesn't think she'd be better off if Allison went away. And at the end of the day, is that the only person that it really matters? Right? Does, does it matter what Tammy thinks? Does it matter what Neil thinks about whether or not Patty is better off if Allison goes or stays? Or is it really just Patty that matters? I definitely think it's just Patty. The The moment of that clip that really hits my heart is Allison is speaking and she goes right over the fact when Patty says, you don't want to leave. Why? And she just, Allison just keeps talking. It's like every part of me would be like, no, answer me. Why? <laughs> like, because, she, you know, obviously she wants her to say because of you, because of you and because of our relationship. And, you know, I, we have not delved into the Patty Allison relationship. We have in, not. Of, well, and we touched on it early on when we asked people to kind of talk back with us a little bit about whether this was purely a deep female friendship was this purely a uh, one-sided perhaps lesbian relationship like what is this and at the end of the day like you and i could not come up with a label for it and we left it at the Shit's creek like there's no good label for this like this is just a very deep intense relationship between two people who absolutely need each other in their lives i don't know that there is a good label for it or that it needs a good label i think patty definitely has romantic feelings for allison i don't think allison has romantic like sexual romantic feelings for patty beyond that though but i think it is the kind of deep friendship aspect but i think there is a romantic imbalance there and i still think that i've always thought that i I think what i'm getting from you is that you think allison is not a lesbian she's not interested in the actual sexual act of having sex but when it comes to saying you're in a relationship even a romantic relationship plenty of people have that whether someone is unable to have sex or whether they just They just don't have that part of their relationship. And they have a truly like nurturing, romantic, we are we are each other's partners, one and onlys kind of thing where they're not having sex with other people. They're not doing anything like they are monogamous with one another and sex isn't a part of it. So I don't even even know if that is. Listen, I just went like. (laughs) (laughs) I won't even know. Yeah, I agree with you. That's why. That's why I qualified the sex aspect of it, though, because I don't think she is in love with Patty in a sexual attraction kind of way. Where I do think Patty is for Allison, just based on body language and Mm -hmm. and intensity. But I think they have a loving relationship, which I'm happy you brought that up, Caroline, because that's actually there's a great discussion on love and. Love versus not being alone that's brought up in this conversation in this episode. You are a segue master, whether you realize it. (laughs) I might have the notes in advance. Let's listen to a, a wisdom font. Her name is Diane. That's not what I meant. Just If you're gonna hang out with Neil, you gotta... Well, I worry about you, not him. I'm a big girl, Patty. I can take care of myself. Okay, well, you started this thing with him, so... I guess we could both say that your judgment's just a little bit off. I'm sorry. When I met Chuck, it was... It was like a choice. You know? I decided to love him, but with Neil, it's... Wait, you... Love Neil? I don't know. 
Maybe I just don't want to be alone. And maybe there's not always a difference. Maybe I just don't want to be alone. Maybe there isn't always a difference. Maybe gets said a lot in this episode. Just in highlighting these audio clips, we're hearing the word maybe a lot, which is interesting in of itself. What do you make of that? What do you make of the maybes? I think because life is not black and white. I think a lot of things that happen in life are in that gray area. And that gray area is dictated by maybe. I also think that this group of people have a significant lack of confidence and they're not going to present anything as a, I know this to be true. But if you say it as a maybe, then maybe you don't get pounced on because it's like, I just said maybe. Right. When you say for sure, when you say it definitively, you're it's opening yourself up. This is what I know for sure. Right. This is what I know to be true. <laughs> Another podcast ep- uh, series that is available <gasps> to you in the archives of Pod Clubhouse. I want to do one that's just like what I know for sure. I was <gasps> doing the Mark Ruffalo show. I know this much is true. Yeah, no, that's true. But also I want to do like a this is Caroline and whomever else, Mike, if you want to. And these are the things I know that's true. Oh it's going to be a lot about ice cream with, with me. I, I know Weird. a lot of things. No things. A lot of things about ice cream to be true. <laughs> and eating my feelings. Eating your feelings. <laughs> but yeah, so maybe I don't want to be alone. Maybe there isn't always a difference. This is the, the beauty of the show. You can take this Diane clip having a conversation with Patty about Neil, and you can apply it maybe to Allison and Patty themselves. Maybe it isn't love in the sexual romantic. But maybe it is just about being there for someone and someone being there for you. And maybe that's enough. But maybe it's enough just to know someone is out there worried about how you are doing and where you are and what you're up to. And you are worried about them in the same way. Maybe that's enough. Because I think that's a lot more than a lot of people have. I agree. And I commend the writers again for creating this space where it's like, what about this concept of love? And I don't, a friendship doesn't do it for me. That's, that's not enough of a word. Like some sort it's not of powerful like, enough. It's not. There's some sort of like partnership, companionship, something. I wish I had the right word for it, where it's like you are, like I said, monogamously committed to one another to have each other's back in this way that's bigger than than best friends bigger than the words that we that I even have I don't even have quite the right vocabulary which is amazing when you can create such a unique situation that is identifiable like I know people like this who absolutely depend on each other like this but there's no good word for it wow you know that's that is incredible I, I think it You're just like, I have to get some ice cream <laughs> in just this episode alone I feel like we have highlighted a lot of important concepts that the show is is trying to tell us and trying to get us you know grinding grandpas grabbing us by the shoulders and shaking us until we listen do you remember in sex in the city where basically at the dun, end of the dun, whole dun, thing dun, 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 they dun, dun, they say what if we're each other's soulmates mm-hmm. and the men are just the side piece kind of part of our lives like what if it's really about you know our friendship and all that kind of stuff i mean this feels like a a 
a more refined version of that where we have we're really focused on this one relationship what if we are meant to be here for each other and if we date other people or if we have other people in our lives that's all fine but like what if we are the foundational relationship for each other i mean look at the golden girls i mean isn't that what isn't that what those four had together at the end of when all was said and done yeah a truly foundational relationship that you could rely on It, it could be your touchstone and it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship necessarily that's a that's a fresh idea though, Mike. For the most part, I know that Sex and the City brought it up, but but that's a fresh concept for a lot of the people who would be watching the show. A hundred percent. Now, now there's probably an interesting conversation and one I'm wholly unqualified to get into. We're wholly unqualified to talk about every single thing we've said. <laughs> but why? Why in the few examples that we have to point to, Sex and the City, Golden Girls, and Tammy and Patty—not Tammy, Allison and Patty here, certainly not Tammy. Why is it females that we're hearing this from, and and not males? Is there something particular about the female friendship? In real life, or at least as television understands real life, there was no prep on this. This was not a question in the notes to, to, to think about, or it's, I'm literally coming up with it. I'm saying it as I'm coming up with it. Do you think there's something unique in the female friendship, which I think is different than your than the male friendship, that allows you to have this kind of foundational relationship? You're making me think real hard. I, I don't know that I have an answer off the top of my head right this very second. Let's all think about it, though. I mean, even if we don't have an answer here, let's we, let's definitely revisit it. People listening, I, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it, too, when you have time to kind of digest it. I'm curious because I, I don't know. I have a thought on it, but I, it's not a well thought out thought. I, and I don't want to put you on the spot. But to the extent you want to go for it, go for it. I'm going I'm to definitely think about it. Let's let's absolutely put it on the board for, for our next conversation. In her head, this is Caroline right now. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> it's nowhere near that strong. It, I really am like running through my feelings because I 100% have had relationships with various people over the years that, you know, have been more important than than what you would think, you know, that that how do I, I don't even know how to say that. I mean, I've been married for a very long time. And so I know a lot of people who have the feeling that like, if you are married, that's your one and only relationship. And I think that there's times when especially for me when my kids were small you know my husband worked outside the house and so he's gone I relied heavily on other women to you know be my support system and be the people who kept me going every day you know I know it like takes a village and all that kind of stuff but there's something very bonding about those moments I actually just met up hilariously enough last weekend after having not seen a lot of these women for probably a good 10 or 15 years because my kids are like 20 now. I haven't seen them since my kids, everyone started school, right? So five, six years old, everyone started school. People kind of went a little bit in their separate ways. But when we had all these little guys, I have multiple. So I have twins. And then I have another one that's only 10 and a half months younger. I had all these babies. And it really took this bonding relationship I had with all these other women. And guess what? All these women showed up. There was like 25 women at this lunch who we had all been together. We had all been to play dates together. We had all been at all this stuff. And we could just look at each other. And in a second, you could dive into a health problem. You could dive into a marriage problem. You could dive into a financial problem with any single one of these women because the bond was just that deep and that real that like you 
you didn't have to hold back. You didn't have to worry. You knew your secrets were safe here. That's very unique. You know, there's, it was a place to really like share everything. I know that's saying a lot and we really said we would put this on the board, but I do relate to this idea that like, I respect this concept of the outside of the romantic relationship, relationship and what those relationships really mean to people and how quickly they are ignored and sidelined because of a variety of reasons. People think, you know, your primary relationship should be within, you know, a marriage or your family or whatever, right? But these other relationships that the family you choose, right? Those people, those people who really you feel like have your back. I traveled for a long time with a group of girls, same deal. I haven't seen some of them in years. I could start right up a conversation with them in an instant and it'd be like nothing changed. My knee-jerk reaction is that it is a matter of vulnerability through societal conditioning or biology or evolution or a combination of all of that. I think women put together have a more accepted ability to be vulnerable with each other that allows them to make deeper and deepest bonds that can withstand the storm than men who, again, because of, I think, a lot of societal conditioning and, 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 and the norms that we have grown up with generation over generation, have a wall, except for in very specific situations, doesn't allow them to access all the way to the core of the other. And so their bonds tend to be, they can be deep, but they are ultimately superficial in a way. I think in only certain cases do guys really let other guys into their very, very core in a way that bonds you. And it's not even in a mutually assured destruction kind of way, which for sure definitely <laughs> makes friendships. But in a, I am a safe place for you you can you can rest here i think guys are conditioned to not allow themselves to be vulnerable that way but i think women are and i think it's a very nature nurture kind of thing i think it's a very i think very still in the society or at least american society nurturing says that it's okay for women to allow that and not for men i agree with you i mean i i'm gonna hit a couple of things on that i mean i know that the way that there's a stereotypical like parenting i know that you break that mold and you know in many ways that you are the one that is making lunches and and doing stuff like that that maybe people would think is a mom role but in reality of course it's a parent role and and you do a great job of breaking a lot of those stereotypes i have to say that historically because of the power structure of things i mean i think of things like women not being able to get a credit card or open a bank account or buy anything or have property for so long i mean we've barely had just like a handful of decades really that we've been able to do a lot of those things that that also forced a networking you know portion of it all of helping each other get the things we want because we're kind of shut out from doing it through uh, very formal ways, right? So we have to have a better sense of creating these quieter networks with one another to help one another because we simply don't have the the power structures not in our, you know, in our favor. I mean, I think of Iran this past week, you know, or whatever, morality rules and stuff like that. And just the power structure of it all, we are, we're on the wrong side of all that stuff. So working together and trying to help each other 
there. That's always kind of been there. Whereas men have the actual formal structure of the world to get ahead. We have to kind of use each other more. There was a line that has always stayed with me from the end of season one that really got to the heart of this relationship, whatever this relationship is that Allison and Patty have. And I don't think... I think the show has only dived deeper into this and and brought Allison further along in being able to say or express her feelings. But I want to take you back to the end of season one. This is actually literally right before Neil and Allison have their altercation, before Neil attacks her in the kitchen. Hey, I don't want you around because you're a good accomplice. You, you raised me from the dead. Like, after all this, you're going to leave. Without you, you're... What? Without you, silence, what? Not terribly unlike, I want to stay. Why? And she doesn't answer. Patty is there, open, you know, doing the, come on in, come in. It's okay, come in. And Allison is at that threshold, but won't say what's in her heart. And so I think it's hard to say what's in her heart because she won't say the next line. She didn't say it in episode eight of season one at the very end of the first season. She doesn't say it here when asked why. She, she, she paves right over it and continues on. Why? Without you, what? It's great. But it's also maddening that we that we don't have more clarity on this. I think this show resonates for a lot of people because they see themselves in it. In all different characters at all different times, there are parts we said, I think, way back in episode one of of, of the series, at all times, sometimes we're Allison, sometimes we're Kevin. Almost everyone is guilty of being both at some point. Sometimes we're Patty, sometimes we're Allison when it comes to love and relationships and, and our feelings. I like that the show hasn't answered it, but it's also maddening that the show hasn't answered it because people want to see themselves in those roles. I really wonder if we had been given more seasons, if we would have sussed this out better, you know, if there would have been something more here that would have been explained to us or if it would have remained vague. I know and I don't want to shy away from the from any conversation about bisexuality or, you know, perhaps is Allison just a couple years away from realizing that she is romantically interested in Patty, which does pattern herself on Valerie's. Uh, if you listen to our interview, Valerie with Valerie Armstrong, she talks about how her identity, her sexual orientation identity came along later in life in the same way, perhaps that Patty is having this discovery and maybe Allison hasn't even quite started that journey. So go listen to that interview, too, uh, that we had with her way back at the beginning of this season, um, because she talks a little bit about that. So it wouldn't surprise me. If she's picking up on if the sh if the characters are picking up on some of that also. So uh, so unfortunately, you know, again, we are not getting to spend enough time with these characters to really find out a lot about it. And I have full faith that Valerie and her writing team would have delved into this stuff and not at all shied away from it. So, I mean, all I can say is that I I know in my heart that these two have a complicated and rich relationship and that they absolutely need each other in their lives. And however that turns out, to answer your original question about would Patty be better off without Allison, I don't think so. I think that a healthy, happy, whole version of Allison 
would make Patty elated. You know, right now they're just in such, you know, distress all the time. I understand why Allison thinks like the only thing she can do is really back off right now. There's there's also perhaps a clue um and I've I haven't I've seen it, I've read about it. I've I've read it in a couple different places. I haven't done the investigative work myself, but there are people who see the the multicolored coat that Allison wears as representing colors in the bisexual flag. If it is, again, another subtle nod to a journey that maybe Allison, if there is this underlying sexual identity discussion for Allison to have for herself, and she hasn't yet had it or hasn't started that journey, and maybe we won't get to see that journey because we're not going to be given future seasons of this show that a subtle nod to it would make sense for for the show writers to represent it in her coat but also how sad for us that we won't get to see how brilliantly the show would get to have that conversation because i think there are a few shows that would probably do it better than this one has given how they've handled all of the other subject matters that they've tried to tackle over the years if this show were to be picked up, could it be picked up? Could it? Could there be more story? Does it have legs to continue on? And how would that look and what would happen? I'm curious. I'm, I want to leave that on the board. I don't know is the answer right this second, but I'd be really interested in like delving in, like make sure it's on our notes, Mike, to talk about like, could this be picked up? And if it did, like, where would we go? If, and if the show doesn't get picked up, I, I really would like to have Valerie on again. Uh, we had talked when we talked to her earlier in the season, we had talked about maybe having her back on at the end of the season. But maybe we do bring her back on a postmortem or like an autopsy on the show and, and where we can drill down on what we saw and maybe pick her brain on what she would have seen in the future in future episodes. Man, write a book or something, Valerie. I want to know what happens yeah, more. Continue, continue our story, at least continue. answer our, our very specific <laughs> questions. So, you know, I think all of that really takes us through a lot of the thrust of the episode, but there are definitely some things that I want to highlight here. I want to talk about weaponizing Kevin because we didn't really talk about that at all, but just because Allison does it so masterfully in the beginning of the episode where she kind of baits the Tammy hook for Kevin, I feel like we need to listen to it and, and uh, talk about it just for a few minutes. I started that fire. What? What fire? Not the one that caused the blackout. Yeah, that fire. I also started two other pretty big ones, but that's the main one for this conversation. This is not good. Tammy's a great detective. Have you heard of the butcher of South Worcester? No. No one has. Tammy caught him before he could even start butchering. Good Lord. It's shocking that she's not higher up on the force. I bet she's hiding something weird on her record. She's good. She's not going to rest until the arsonist... Well, you, I guess. <laughs> ...is behind bars. Oh, what are we going to do? She's so good here. Clutching your chest, the, the soap opera level acting, the, what are we going to do? And then, like, glancing at like, out of the corner of her eye. Really fun stuff. I, I really enjoyed watching this scene over and over again. I got a super hard Judy Garland vibe out of that. That like, oh, oh no, oh, what are we going to do? Like, I think she says, what are we going to do? It almost that same exact pitch um, in Wizard of Oz. And I like, I don't know, again, in our Wizard of Oz, our what exactly is this show conversation? I'm like, hmm, 
hmm, we've got three men. We've got, we've got like maybe a good witch next door. We've got like, hmm. That makes Patty Glinda. Yeah, I think so. And Tammy, the Wicked Witch of the East. And then we've got the three guys who I think we could fit them into some different... You think Candace Coke can sing? Uh, we would take her on from Wicked and have her sing Defying Gravity? I wonder if she can Ooh, sing. I would love try. that. Or have <laughs> have uh, uh, Mary Hollis and Candace Coke sing Popular? I'm, I'm throwing this all out there. I am. I'm, I'm putting it all, it all out. out there, guys. If you're listening, hit us up with some <laughs> Wicked uh, show tunes. You know, some some fantastic, just good multicam stagecraft, you know, acting and selling it and baiting the hook. And you got to love Kevin and his dirty, dirty socks. That's all I could look at in that scene. When he flops on the bed, his socks that should be white are so gray. Ew. <laughs> it was fantastic stuff. And let's not skip over the fact that he admits to having set two other very big Big fires, not the subject of this discussion, though. Holy shit. Two other big fires that we don't even know about? The guy is a menace. There is a fascinating amount of, like, trust, though, and, like, the way that he's opening up more to her. You know, we talked a lot about how their relationship has changed over this last season and how, like, the more that she kind of plays the game, the more that he actually does go in for it with her like that you know like where there is more of that like oh we're buddies in this and i'm gonna tell you everything like asking her to come into the hot tub and and him like kind of doing those looks like mm, i like it when you talk like this i want more of this kind of conversation like he actually says that at one point he says in this episode when she compliments when when she says you should get both sunglasses he's like i want to reinforce this type of behavior right he actually says it but at the same time she like just played along you know, she didn't say, I don't care what sunglasses you get. She's like, I don't get both. You know, like there's something about the whole exchange that's changed a lot. Well, you got to polish your gun. You got to clean your weapon or else it won't act correctly. And so she knows that she knows it now. She's she's been woken up to the Matrix. And so she now understands how to operate within it. And she's doing a goddamn great job at it. Like she's she's really playing him like a violin, like a master, putting all the information out there that, oh, there must be something shady in her in her past about why she hasn't you know advanced further like she she leaves all of the breadcrumbs that that are perfect for kevin i mean they're large fucking breadcrumbs but kevin needs that though right he needs he's not so much about the nuance she does a great job of baiting him and baiting him with the hook to get him on her problem now let's talk about the problem because clearly the episode is supposed to make us think of tammy right given the conversation last week you know i know how to deal with my problems now i just introduced them to kevin and tammy being that problem introduced you know to kevin in this episode but clearly there's a double entendre at work there right tammy and neil very much see allison as the problem you know it just goes back to that conversation that we had earlier about perspective and point of view of who is the problem it's like last week with the machine or uh the week before with what was the episode title from the week before I don't know what it is from the week before, but Unreliable Narrator was another uh, one that it. we were yes. like, it's like, could be any of them. Any of them could be the unreliable, unreliable Narrator. It's all about your perspective and your point of view. So just a fun, another fun title, unlike next week's episode, which is called Allison's House, which specifically speaks to Allison. I talked earlier about relatability. There's that scene when Patty is, I, I thought, I thought of you because I thought you would appreciate this scene when she is waiting for Neil to come home or waiting for word on where he is. And she's sitting in that disgusting pigsty of an apartment that he has. And she starts to clean. I, I, it was such a little moment and it was, it was wordless until Allison comes over and notes that she actually in fact did clean the apartment and it looks fantastic. 
but it's such a human moment that struck me as such a real thing i think i would do that so it i think it struck me because i found it very relatable i was curious if you picked up on that did that and and i think it's real for patty too who we've seen clean before right when tammy was over and she started cleaning so yeah it's 100 percent me i would be like nervous uh energy cleaning because i would have that 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 desire to want to care for neil and then also have no good way to like funnel that into something since i can't i don't have any access to him so like cleaning up the space would feel like i'm contributing but also like keeping my distance um that that tracks perfectly especially given the and this is a total unrelated to patty but sam makes that comment earlier about uh, wanting to get out of kevin a new vacuum like sam what are you doing (laughs) what is wrong with you do better sam but then you have patty over there cleaning though you know and it's just this like weird juxtaposition of of caretaking caretaker and nurturer and and that role and patty patty is that nurturing role that is her natural tendency well, and she's saying out loud, like, I'm not I'm going to let him, you know, just like sit in jail this time. I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to be the one that is like the caretaker and bail him out and all that stuff. But yet she can't stop herself, she you know, from, from trying to help him anyway. Nor do I think siblings should stop themselves from like helping each other. I I don't want to have a situation in my own life where family or friends would give up on me to a level of maybe they do think I need to sit in jail for the weekend or something. But but please don't like give up on me you know like i i want there to to be some level of hope you know that i could be redeemed if i was in that scenario i don't have a relationship with my siblings so i can't really relate to them but i understand i objectively i can but see a what you're talking part of about my heart wants to hope someday that th- that might be okay so well, you know because that's me right like i want to retain some degree of like maybe maybe in some world that could be fixed you, you are know? a builder of bridges that is your natural <laughs> tendency so i just i just uh yeah hmm. here's here's the other very relatable moment this is in some Allison sitting on her porch in the middle of the night with her tea when Patty comes by. Let's take a listen. Why are you sorry? No, I'm not. I'm not sorry. I just, I don't know what I'm saying. I haven't slept in two days. Because you're just so excited to die. No, because I feel like I forgot something. What'd you forget? What? If I knew I'd be able to sleep. I feel like I dropped something and I feel it next to me and I'm trying to figure out what it is and I'm I'm lying there wide awake just convinced if I don't pick it up something terrible's gonna happen. You know? What I mean? Do you drop something? See, I'm not making any sense. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm not. I'm not sorry. I. <sighs> I feel her so hard in that scene. I I have a job that has a lot of detail, like a lot of detailed nuance to it. And so frequently I'll wake up in the middle of the night and realize something didn't get done or I, I forgot to cross a T or dot an I and it just it just eats at you. And sometimes you can't remember the thing. I found that I found that entire segment so relatable to a point that it actually disturbed me a little bit. <laughs> Talk it out. I want to hear this. I, I mean, just this idea of, you know, the metaphor. I mean, Patty thinks she's talking about something 
physical, right? She, Patty's taking her in a literal way here, but I understood Allison talking metaphorically, and she is. I mean, we learn later on she's talking about Neil. Neil is the something that she forgot, so she is talking metaphorically. But it felt to me metaphorical because I feel like I feel this constantly, this idea of... I don't know what I'm forgetting, but I know I'm forgetting something. I know enough to know I'm forgetting some detail that is important and for whatever reason didn't write it down or I can't access it. And the more I think about it, the more I can't access it, you know, where I, I, it happens to me all the time where I'm trying to pull a name or a reference and it'll come to me three days later randomly, but I couldn't pull it in the moment. I feel like that's Allison here. She she knows there's a thread there. She's trying to pull at it, but it just won't go. Uh, I, man, oof. and not not being able to sleep about it or being up in the middle of the night thinking about it. Yeah, way too close to home for something that happens to be constantly. <laughs> what do you think? What percentage of this is potentially her ignoring her true feelings for Patty? That it's that is not Neil that she's dropped, but it's it's this never really recognizing because all the time she's prodded. What is it? Why? What is it? Why don't you want to go? But she like never says. Like, is it possible that 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 is what it is? It could be. I mean, it's certainly her feelings. I mean, at the end of the day, it's actually her feelings for Patty that propels her through this episode. I mean, she has the Tammy and Neil like prodding her with like a cattle prod to make her focus on it. Uh, and maybe, and maybe focusing on it is what cures her not being able to think about it. And, and because it's so closely related to what's happening with Neil in the fact that that's why she is faking her death, that she mixes up what the, what the two emotions are, the two thoughts are. But at the end of the day, this episode is really about her feelings for Patty. Because if she didn't care about Patty, she, you wouldn't have that moment where she hugs her and stops the chaotic, you know, percussive drum beating. She, you don't have the moment where she takes a long breath and a hug and then tells her, I'll fix it. If she didn't care about Patty, if she was obtuse to her feelings for her, you wouldn't have that scene because she wouldn't give a shit. She would just be using Patty. That scene redeems so much of Allison's behavior for Patty, right? It really is the crystallization of what we've talked about all season, this arc of Allison actually becoming a very good friend to to Patty in the way Allison can. This is the the peak of that character arc and development for her. So so yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that's as valid uh I think that's as valid a thought as it being Neil, which is how I took it kind of on its face originally. Um because she says later on Neil is the thing. Neil is the live grenade walking out there. But you're right, there may be subtext there that she's not even realizing it. I for me, I'm I'm getting all kinds of like they just <laughs> she Patty just wants her to say it's her, you know, it's her. It's why she can't go. It's what is keeping her here. It's what is nagging at her. I mean, I understand Neil is a problem though. I mean, my God, for the amount of people he's like tattling this story to and everything. Good God, he is a problem. He is really a problem. I think it resonated me with the Neil thing because they hadn't actually checked in with Neil about what he was doing. Right. That was such a focus, especially in the first episode or two of the season. Well, I mean, they literally had him tied to a post in the basement to keep him from being this live grenade out and about. Then they threaten him and blackmail him when he's in the hospital, and then they really haven't checked in on him. They really haven't been keeping tabs on what he's been doing or who he's been talking to, other than Allison accidentally stumbling upon the fact that he's been stooping Diane. They really haven't checked in with Neil very much at all. So that's why it worked for me on that, on that level of... 
man, they really did lose the threat on Neil. They really have no idea what he's been up to. But I do like, given our larger conversation in this episode about the subtext of their relationship or the state of their relationship or what their relationship is and their feelings, I, I think I think there's a good argument there that it maybe relates to that too. And Allison didn't even realize that in this episode, which is part of the conversation. Allison hasn't, it, it seems by all intents and purposes, Allison hasn't started on her journey of really understanding what her feelings for Patty are. Whatever that ultimately may be i don't think she knows yet or at least can't verbalize it i think that's why she can't say at the end of episode eight in season one when she says without you and then stops and patty says what and i think that's why she can't verbalize why she wants to stay when patty asks her in this episode why so good good to know i i do want to point out the metaphor of the mug she kicks the mug down the stoop. Now, I grew up in Queens. I had a front stoop. I did plenty of drinking mugs and hot liquids on my stoop uh, in Queens. Had I kicked a mug, we owned no mug that wouldn't have shattered if I had kicked it down the f- five steps of my stoop. I'm chalking the resilience of the mug up to a metaphor for Allison and Patty. I like that. That you can kick them downstairs and yet they don't break. They just continue to hold hot liquid. <laughs> they just continue to hold hot liquid. <laughs> How about they just stick together? <laughs> sure, that too, that too, that too. <laughs> I'd be like, look at those friends over there. They look like they could hold some hot liquid. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they are hot liquid holders. So, as are yeah. we all at our best. In our own ways, we're just sacks of skin of hot liquid. <laughs> hot liquids. I am a hot liquid holder, people. <laughs> weird. All right, let's hit some. Uh, let's hit some fa- lightning round before we get to the final thought on the episode. Okay. Di- Diane also got, goes to Doctor Gates. Shouldn't be a surprise, but it's interesting that that Allison as a, or Diane as a possible future version of Allison goes to the same doctor, a doctor who has no problem prescribing describing you know 40 years of sleeping pills to her i mean she has quite the pharmacy that she's able to produce for allison yeah that's pretty amazing very different but again this dr gates this guy who has all of these very let's quote unquote traditional thoughts about the role of a woman in marriage of course he would prescribe anything just to keep her from not hassling chuck too much Right, that she that she has to eventually fight for a new mattress. Doctor Gates would rather keep her uh, prescribed and drugged rather than she hustle her. Uh, you know, Doesn't hassle. That sound familiar? That's so nineteen fifties like tranquilizer. Yeah, uh, Betty that, that's exactly what, that's Doctor Gates. Doctor Gates is nineteen fifties, you know, or nineteen sixties, uh, you know, Mad Men era doctor. Um, he he has not grown with the times. So I hate that fucking guy. He's like one of the people I hate most on the show. Did you notice the Chuck mug? Speaking of mugs. I absolutely did. I was like, wow. Chuck, Chuck, <laughs> Chuck, 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 Chuck. Yeah. Mm-mm. You know, I just had a thought while I was saying Chuck there. I was chanting it. Yeah. The unseen brother who who bat, who bounced his basketball up the stairs in Happy Days and then was never seen again was named Chuck. Uh, Richie Cunningham had an older brother named Chuck who disappeared from the show early in the first season. Wig an unseen character like chuck eh, i love it i wonder if, it was, if that's an homage uh to uh, who chuck turned out to be that's super funny and i i cannot help but think how you noted in the past man they live in a really nice house yeah they do what does chuck do probably nothing good 
<laughs> he's, he's probably probably in sanitation in the way that uh, Soprano is in sanitation. Uh, I like that. I think nothing good. Nothing good. I'm touching nothing the, above board. I'm touching the side of my nose for all you Italians <laughs> out there. So you remember when uh, I, I have this little note myself. Remember when Allison was trying to scam pills off of Dr. Gates, who would not give her pain pills but would prescribe Diane all sorts of sleeping pills and other kinds of pain medication. Interesting that he wouldn't have prescribed pain pills to Allison last season. But I remember when she was trying to score pills so she could kill Kevin. Now she's trying to score pills so she can sleep. What a difference a season makes. I, I just thought it was, I mean, this is how far she's come to the point where she, you know, she, she truly is not trying to kill Kevin. She's just trying to escape. And right now she's just trying to sleep. I like that Diane asked her about vacation plans or quote unquote vacation plans. I thought that was Diane being a good friend and, and talking to her about it. Yeah, good family member. I mean, trying to check in and, and trying to, to be there for her. What did you think of Allison's card that she left for patty at bev's diner the card said i'm sorry but you're better off echoing the same sentiments that allison has been hearing from tammy all season and in this episode specifically from tammy and neil you're better off hurt my heart i mean i don't feel like i have like a good i don't know what is the last words that would be quote unquote right you know i think she wasn't willing to you know admit anything about what their relationship meant to her at that point and so i mean yeah i think all she had in her was to reiterate what other people have been saying to her you know that seems to be like where she was at in that for that particular part of her life what did you feel i made me sad because it made me realize that at the end of the day Allison still didn't listen to Patty and what she wanted, you know, given the conversation between Allison and Tammy about not listening to Patty and then Tammy saying Patty doesn't always know what she wants. Patty telling Allison, I want you to stay. At the end of the day, she listened to the Neils and the Tammies of the world and, and chose the you're better off. Now I think I know, I think she's doing it out of the goodness of her heart. I think she's trying I think she's doing it because she thinks it's the right move as a friend as a loved one to protect Patty, but it still hurt my heart at the end of the day that was the path that she chose. We got to talk about that final scene uh where she's in the area. It sounded like she said Danver, but I looked up places in Maine uh and I could not find a Danver. Um, I did not have it with closed captioning on, so I'm not sure where she said. But where she is, she's in the ice capital fishing or the best ice fishing in all of Maine. Uh, but what did you think of her plan to sleep? And the fact that we actually got to see her in this new world, this idea of Gertrude Franch beginning her new life. That she actually pulled the trigger, that she did it, that she that, that the police actually say she's gone you know the whole thing i mean this is the big climax you know of the of the show for us is that she actually did it um and we get to see where she goes like most of the time shows just are like and she's gone and a lot of shows would just end with that we don't ever know what happens to her and we don't ever know what's gonna what's gonna go on but we know she goes to maine uh was maine far enough for you did you want her to go someplace way 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 further away i wanted her to go far way 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 far 
far away. But remember, she's really working mostly off of that envelope of cash, of Kino cash from Diane. So how, I mean, and this is what she says to the librarian in episode two of season one, how far could she really get? How, you know, plane ticket, bus tickets are expensive. Plane tickets are impossibly expensive. You know, uh, train tickets are expensive. How far could she really go without blowing whatever money she has available to her? So I would love to have seen her go far away, but also realistically, how far could she possibly have gone? Were you surprised that she like took the hiking route? No, I mean, no, I, I was surprised that we saw that. I'm surprised that we got any of this in this episode. This feels very much like stuff that you would get. You wouldn't get until the finale, but they really tease it with that entire back end of the episode. Let's talk about actually that final multicam scene, because there's a lot of stuff going on there. Obviously, it ends with the cops coming and saying we found the backpack on the hiking trail. You have Pete doing his she went on the fancy walk and Allison and Patty's like, that's called a hike. Let's backtrack before the note, because there's a couple things that happen that we need to put on the board because they're probably going to come up in the finale. One. Neil looks very surly and does not laugh at Kevin's joke when he makes the uh, you can't handle the tooth. You know, Neil's response is he doesn't laugh and he says, you've told that joke before and says it in kind of like a surly, angry kind of way. It sounds like Lorraine and Pete are getting ready to move out. Kevin, of course, interrupts their conversation about that. But that sounds like where Pete is going with that, because he says, speaking of and they were talking about the fact that Pete lives there. What did you think at the beginning of the episode where Kevin assumes that Pete had broken up with Lorraine because she hadn't been around and Pete reveals that Lorraine doesn't liking doesn't like coming by the house, presumably, though, unsaid because of how Kevin treats her. Boy, do I appreciate that Lorraine's got some boundaries. She she has her dignity, man, and she's got like a a bar that she's not going to go under you know she's like nope that that's not the way i'm gonna be treated and i don't like that one bit i loved that i liked it because it showed me that there's actually a division a a a firm division now between pete and kevin though kevin still seems completely unaware of it just listening to pete talk to him in the beginning and 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 knowing how he's come to lorraine's defense it it definitely struck me that there is a problem here in this relationship and kevin doesn't and only pete is aware of it so when you add that together with the end I think that sets up some very interesting finale dynamics that have to be resolved. The Kevin Pete father son relationship. I'm very curious to see how they resolve that. And, and where does Pete wind up? Does he stay with team Lorraine or does he come back to Kevin's side? I, my hope is that he goes off and makes a life with Lorraine. I hope because anyone getting free of Kevin, I feel like is a good thing. So, but I think it's going to be interesting though. I, I'm, uh, I'm curious to see how they resolve that. I'm excited for there to be that, that option for Pete because he has the potential to actually do good things. I saw some good things with his heart this season that I thought, you know what? It is time to be calling Kevin's out on their biz. And he does care about Lorraine and, I don't know. I mean, in his own Pete way, I think he had quite an arc this season. I think he did without a lot of focus on him by inference. I think they really did a lot with his character and just to show kind of that growth. And I really think it starts all the way back at the political ad. I think when Kevin didn't go with his political ad uh, that he spent so much time storyboarding and setting out, I really think that was the beginning of this rift that then just manifested itself even more so with Lorraine coming into the picture. 
but I think you can really trace the origin back to the political ad uh, and the Worcester Wild dude. So kind of crazy that they've only been together for a month. That so you're telling us that the introduction of Lorraine, the birthday party episode, which is episode four, that's only one month ago in the show. Which I guess okay, it's been three episodes, so one month, but it also feels so much longer than that. I do like the fact that they go to Costco for their one month anniversary. I thought that was very sweet. <laughs> it's very cost effective. <laughs> it is. I love a little food sampler at Costco, Sam's Club, Costco. I love those places. You could have like a whole lunch there for free if you just uh, are willing to eat whatever's being served that day. So <laughs> willing to eat whatever's being served. Well, you know, some days you're going to get a crepe. Some days you're going to get like, like a scallop. They like the dollar fifty hot dog, man. It's oh like well, I mean that's up. actually paying money for food. I'm talking about the guys doing the samplers, you know. I know what a sampler is. I'll but, I'll wow. stand I'll stay in the freezer aisle if I feel like there's a good soup being made at the end of like the aisle that's like not quite ready. Oh my god! I'll, I'll pour over the DiGiorno's <laughs> that they have while I'm waiting for that soup to be ready. So oh my god! I, I think it's sad but realistic that it was Patty to ask where is Allison, even though yes. Patty does not live in the house and seems like she's the one who's not currently because like, it seems like Neil is a fixture on the couch again. Kevin obviously lives there. Pete lives there, but it's Patty to ask where Allison Here's is. The thing. That means that she was gone overnight. She was gone over a day. It had been a full day since she but had been overnight seen. Overnight is the key. Overnight, right? That meant Kevin, in theory, went to bed. No Allison. Woke up in the morning. No Allison. Uh, there's something about that alone, you know, because of all of his tracking of her phone and and all of those types of things that he does do, where there, she does have to make an excuse where she goes and she would have to say she was at the diner and all these types of things that I'm like, for real? This guy just completely based on her not being here for that long well it makes sense with neil being back in the picture though right because that's true with neil being back the tension there's probably a lot it, that's actually from allison's standpoint probably the best thing that could have happened for her escape plan because there would have been less attention on her he wouldn't have been seeking her out as he had been more when neil was off with diane now that neil's back he really doesn't need her anymore to fill any of those neil voids that he was attempting to fill with Allison. So I think that was just good, good, uh, come up, good coincidence on her part. Okay, Mike. So we have been talking on this podcast, in our Facebook group, and all over the place about like what is a satisfying ending to this series? This is complicated. What is actually going to make the audience feel? Like, I got what I came here for. So we're going to throw that out to our listeners, and we want to know what you guys think would be a satisfying ending. You don't necessarily have to say what you even think is going to happen, but what would make you happy? What would make you feel like this was a good this was good use of my time to be watching these series. What do you want to see on that screen? Um, and then you can also tell us what you think is actually going to happen, because those can be two very different things, Mike. Yes. And, and I think in a show like this, you would probably be wise to assume maybe what would be the happy ending for you will probably not be what the actual ending is, only because I think the show has done a great job of not taking the predictable route uh what's the phrase uh subverting expectations subverting expectations so i think you'd be very wise to have a guess for how it ends versus how you want it to end which uh, may not be the same 
This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for Kevin Can Fuck Himself. For one more time coming up next week, we just want to say thank you for listening. And if you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, but particularly at Apple and at Spotify, leave us a five-star rating. It helps the show get visibility. It helps other people find the show and join in the conversation. And you know what? I'm I'm sorry, but you're better off if you just leave us a five-star rating. I'm just saying. (laughs) We'll go hiking with you in case anything happens. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.